Father in heaven, I thank you so much for uh, the way you continue to lead in our lives and be close with us, for the way you've opened our eyes to one another in this place, these people that we love. Lord, I pray you'll be with us today as we consider a challenging scenario that comes up sometimes in our lives. Lord, help us that we will have wisdom to know the right things to do, that we would honor you even when things are difficult. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're continuing with our series, really, that's going to kind of go all through the year. We're in our second series, but the, the overall theme is this heart-to-heart idea, the relationships we build with each other. And, and one of the things we've been doing is talking about these are the people I love and, and looking around the room and doing that. But maybe you've noticed sometimes in your relational hub amongst the people you love, maybe not every one of those relationships is always just going great. And sometimes those relationships get downright difficult and even can become dangerous. So what do we do when someone in our relational hub becomes dangerous? This series is also our small group series, and if you have a group, I encourage you to go to the church website and download the studies. So the study for next week will be the one that relates to the Sabbath coming. And uh, to that end, we we made a little mistake today. We're not going to do a closing hymn today, and this is my fault, and I apologize for this, because uh, I was gone most this week. I told you last week that Alicia and I were going to try to get away, and we got away for a couple days, and I didn't get back till late in the week. And I got back too late to tell Pastor Evan, and he thought my topic for today is actually my topic next Sabbath. So rather than singing a hymn at the end of the service that really is all about next week, we're going to save it for next week. We're going to sing it next week. You can hum a little hymn to yourself if you like at the end, but we're going (laughs) to close with a benediction a little differently and go straight into Will. So I think he knows about that, so that'll work. But this is our small group series, and you can uh, download the study, uh, and, and the study for next week I think is a pretty interesting one. You may want to look at that. By the way, those of you who are a part of my group that meets on Tuesday night, I will be here this week, so we will meet this week, and I look forward to that. All right, so we're focusing for the, through April 21 on stories from the early history of Israel and their, their relationship stories that come from kind of the the judge's time into the time of King David. And this particular story today I think is very relevant because on the one hand we want to say these are the people I love and we want to reach out to each other, but not every relationship is safe. And not every person we love is willing to be in a loving relationship with us. Galatians chapter 5, beginning in verse 13, we find these words. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. But now note this verse. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, 
or you will be destroyed by each other. What do you do when one of the relationships in your hub becomes a relationship of biting and devouring? Today is about what happens when that happens in our lives. And, and again, I want to take us through a relational hub story. Last week we did it with Jacob. This week I want to take us through a relational hub story on David. Now, David, we know David's father's name was Jesse. That's mentioned a lot. And we know David had brothers. But interestingly, the Bible never gives us the name of David's mom. I don't know why exactly. There's a, there's a Talmud tradition that says her name was Nitzvet. I don't know if that's true or not, but that's out there. You may run into that. But we don't know his mom's name. And there's another interesting thing about the brothers. Um, there is some indication that he had eight brothers, but if you look at the list of names, I'm sorry, that there were eight sons of Jesse, but if you look at the list of names actually written, written in the Bible, there's only seven names. So I'm not sure exactly whether he, how many he exactly had, but, but we know he had a number of brothers. Eliab, Abinadad, Shimei, Nathanel, it's kind of like Nathaniel, kind of like you, uh, Radai, Ozem, and who knows if there was another one, but David was in there. So David's got brothers, he's the young one. Now, the prophet Samuel came to town one day because God said, go to Bethlehem and anoint the son of Jesse as the king. And so Samuel traveled there and Jesse got his important sons together. David was out with the flock, got his important sons together. And the first one came by and this is the story where we get that, that uh, very memorable verse that says, uh, man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. That was the message God said to Samuel when he saw Eliab because he looked like the obvious one. But it wasn't him. It wasn't any of the others all the way down the list until Samuel said, is this all your sons? He said, well, no, I've got one more, but he's with the sheep. Well, go get him. So they get him. They bring him in, and he is the one that Samuel anoints. Now, if you know anything about siblings and, and how things go in a family, Sometimes when the youngest brother gets that special attention, it doesn't play so well with some of the older. So after Samuel does this, his relationship with his brothers gets a little sketchy for a little while to the point where when uh, David comes to where his brothers are with the army with Saul against Goliath, they actually have some pretty unkind things to say to him. Now, that'll be all right because eventually this relationship will get straightened out. But for a while, it was a little rough. Now, I want to add on a little aside here because we know that he had brothers, but did you know David had two sisters whose names are specifically mentioned in Scripture? That's a little unusual, but it's not so unusual when you actually find out about them. So you know David was younger, and it's likely these sisters were older, and it's likely these sisters were pretty tough, too. We know David was tough. We know there were other warriors in his family. Why do I say they were tough? Well, one sister was Zeruiah. The other sister was Abigail. Don't get confused. David will marry an Abigail, but it's a different Abigail. So we're all right there. Don't worry about that. So Zeruiah and Abigail. Now, Zeruiah will have three sons that we know about. Joab, Abishai, and Asahel. 
Now, the reason it seems that these sisters were considerably older was because, as the story goes, Joab and David appear to be similar in age. Joab will be the general of David's army. Abishai and Asahel, his brothers, will be two of David's mighty men. Abigail will have a son named Amasa. We'll get to him in a minute. So Zeruiah is the mother of Joab, Abishai, and Asahel. Now, why do I say Zeruiah must have been pretty tough? Well, sometimes when David becomes exacerbated, exasperated, not exacerbated, exasperated, that's it, with Joab, Abishai, and Asahel, he will say, what part do I have with you, you sons of Zeruiah? Kind of an interesting thing. He does not refer to them by their father's name. He refers to them by his sister, their mother's name. So she must have been pretty tough is all I can figure. So Joab, Abishai, Asahel. Now, now later on, the story we're going to look at happens a little earlier, but I just want to give you this part about these sisters. Later on, when the war has broken out between the house of David and the house of Saul after Saul is dead, Joab, let's go to the next one there, Patty. Joab will be leading David's army, and Abner will be leading Israel and Saul's army. Now, a battle will take place between Judah and Israel, and Judah will win, and Israel will, will flee. And in the pursuit, Scripture says that Asahel, he is referred to as being very fleet of foot, he was a very fast runner, set his eyes on Joab, uh, not on Joab, on Abner, and was chasing after Abner. And Scripture says, Abner said to him, is that you, Asahel? And he says, yes, it is. And, jo and Abner said to him, turn aside now to the right or the left and disarm one of the young men. Why should I kill you? I would never be able to face your brother Joab. But Asahel would not be deterred, and he continued to chase after Abner. And in the end, Abner does kill Joab's brother, Asahel. Well, obviously, this doesn't play well with Joab or with Abishai. And what ultimately happens is later when David is trying to make peace with Israel, he's trying to work with Abner, and Abner is going in between to make this work out. Joab will slip up on Abner, and they will meet together in a place out of the way, and Joab will murder Abner. Now, I mentioned to you, sometimes your relational hub can get dangerous, right? You see what's happened here. But the story goes on than that, and it even gets a little tougher. Amasa, the son of Abigail, will actually become the commander of the army of Judah when Absalom rebels against David. So now you have another one of his nephews that's a general, and now you have Amasa leading one army and Joab leading another army and fighting one another. That's what I say. These were pretty tough girls have these kinds of sons. So they're in the field fighting each other. Now, when the fighting is over, David tries to make peace uh, with the house of Judah, and he tells Amasa, come and be my general. Joab doesn't like that. And so when Joab gets a chance, he kills Amasa, his cousin, just like he killed Abner. Can you imagine if Zeruiah and Abigail are still alive at this point? To have the son of Zeruiah killed the son of Abigail. What does that do to sister's relationship? The point I'm trying to make in this story so far is to get you to understand 
that our relational hubs can be very complicated. And there can be situations that arise that create all kinds of strife in there and set us at odds with each other and in fact even sometimes become dangerous to our very lives. But let's go back to the story I want to focus on here today. We go back to David. So we've got David and Samuel. Well, David, so Samuel has anointed David king, but the problem is he already anointed Saul king as well. So right now, there's a link between Samuel and David and Samuel and Saul, but Saul and David don't come together until the whole thing with Goliath takes place. And then a relationship begins to form between David and Saul. So you'll see that there. Samuel will die, and he will disappear from the story. But David's relationships and his relational hub will, be, will continue to become more complex because Saul has some children. So you see in the next picture here, Saul has a son named Jonathan who becomes very close with David. Now, the reward for killing Goliath was supposed to be the one who kills Goliath can marry one of Saul's daughters. And originally, Merib, his older daughter, was pledged to be the one married to David. But Saul changed his mind and had her marry someone else. So she kind of goes out of the story, and that made David a little unhappy. But later on, Saul, as he was becoming more jealous of David, came up with a way that he thought he could get David killed in the name of earning his younger daughter, Michael, to be his wife. But David is victorious and kills over a thousand Philistines, and Saul is then compelled to allow David to marry Michael. Now, I just want you to look at that. That's David's relational hub. So he's married to Saul's daughter. Saul is the king who's not happy with him, and Jonathan, the king's son, is his best friend. Life gets a little complicated, right? Okay, story goes on. As the tension grows between David and Saul, it begins to have an effect on the other relationships. And in fact, very soon, the relationship between Saul and Jonathan becomes extremely strained to the point where you get one of the more amusing texts in the Bible where Jonathan uh, makes his father mad at him and his father's response to him is, you son of a perverse and rebellious woman. I want to recommend never use that line. I don't think that's uh, going to get you very far, but that's what Saul calls him. Anyway, uh, so their relationship becomes strained. And then the relationship between David and Michael gets a little weird because Saul now is going to come and kill David, but Michael helps David escape. So she kind of betrays her father. But then when her father comes to her and says, what happened? What she says is, he threatened to kill me. Therefore, I let him go. So her relationship gets a little weird with everybody. Ultimately, now David's gone. He's running for his life. And Saul takes Michael away. So that relationship is now broken and sends her to be married to Paltiel, someone else. Now, ultimately, when David becomes king, she'll be taken away from Paltiel and come back to be with David, and that's kind of an ugly story too. But you see how complicated these things get? And it's not just complication because this situation between David and Saul has become so severe that Saul wants him dead. 
Now, this is where the story I want to pick up today begins. And understand, so you saw David's relational hub. Here is the relationship that he has that has reached this critical point. So the story I want us to read through, and we'll mostly just read this from 1 Samuel 24, beginning in verse 1. Here's the story. After Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told, David is in the desert of En Gedi. So Saul took 3,000 able young men from all Israel and set out to look for David and his men near the crags of the wild goats. So you get the idea from the names of these places. David is hiding in the wilderness, and Saul has taken a small army to go out, find him, and kill him. Verse 3, he came to the sheep pens along the way. A cave was there, and Saul went in to relieve himself. David and his men were far back in the cave. The men said, this is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. Then David crept up unnoticed and cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Afterward, David was conscience-stricken for having cut off a corner of his robe. He said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lay my hand on him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. With these words, David sharply rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul, and Saul left the cave and went his way. Now, I know you know this story, but I want you to put yourself in this situation, not as David, but as one of his men. David's been chased away by Saul. He's been anointed as king. He is a more righteous ruler than Saul. You have rallied to David's side. You've joined with him. And now the Lord has given you the chance to kill Saul and have your guy take over the throne. And just when you're ready to pull your sword and do it, David says, don't touch him. Don't touch him. Verse 8. Then David went out of the cave and called out to Saul, my lord the king. When Saul looked behind him, David bowed down and prostrated himself with his face to the ground. He said to Saul, Why do you listen when men say David is bent on harming you? This day you have seen with your own eyes how the Lord delivered you into my hands in this cave. Some urged me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not lay my hand hand on my Lord because he is the Lord's anointed. See, my father, look at this piece of your robe in my hand. I cut off the corner of your robe but did not kill you. See that there is nothing in my hand to indicate that I am guilty of wrongdoing or rebellion. I have not wronged you, but you are hunting me down to take my life. May the Lord judge between you and me, and may the Lord avenge the wrongs you have done to me, but my hand will not touch you. As the old saying goes, from evildoers come evil deeds, so my hand will not touch you. Against whom has the king of Israel come out? Who are you pursuing? A dead dog? A flea? May the Lord be our judge and decide between us. May he consider my cause and uphold it. May he vindicate me by delivering me from your hand. When David finished saying this, Saul asked, Is that your voice, David, my son? And he wept aloud. 
You are more righteous than I, he said. You have treated me well, but I have treated you badly. You have just now told me about the good you did to me. The Lord delivered me into your hands, but you did not kill me. When a man finds his enemy, does he let him get away unharmed? May the Lord reward you well for the way you treated me today. I know that you will surely be king and that the kingdom of Israel will be established in your hands. Now swear to me by the Lord that you will not kill off my descendants or wipe out my name from my father's family. So it's very interesting, isn't it? And we're going to pause right there. There's one more verse we need to read, but let's set it up. It's very interesting right there because Saul has admitted that David is right and has even basically confessed, I'm doing the wrong to chase after you. Now, isn't that kind of the moment you dream of in some of those difficult relationships you have? That moment when the person that has been persecuting you admits they're wrong? And isn't that kind of the moment when you're kind of hopeful that maybe we can work all this out? And sometimes we can. We always hope we can, right? But I want you to notice something here, something very important to help us to know what to do when our relational hub becomes dangerous. Notice this verse 22. So David gave his oath to Saul. So he swore, I won't kill off your family. Then Saul returned home and David went back to the palace in order to live life the way it had always been before. Is that what it says? No. It says, but David and his men went up to the stronghold. Just because there has been some sort of a moment of reconciliation in an interaction, if the relationship is still dangerous, don't go back with Saul. You see that? Saul went back. But David went and hid again. And it was a good thing, right? Because Saul comes after him again. Sometimes one of the people you love, because that's who the people in your relational hub are, right? Sometimes one of the people you love will become so dangerous to you that the only thing you can do is keep separation. It doesn't mean you don't still love. It doesn't even mean that they might not have said some really nice things. But if it's not safe, don't go back. Now, how do we handle this? Well, there's a couple lessons I think we can learn from this story of David. First of all, do no harm even when someone seeks to harm you. Second, reconcile with everyone to the degree you can. But third, sometimes things just can't go back to the way they were. Sometimes for your safety, you must part ways. David was gracious. 
but he wasn't stupid. Be gracious, but don't be stupid. So let's talk about you. So here's you. You remember this? You got you, Patty? There's you. All right. It looks just like you, doesn't it? Okay, that's you. Each one of you sits at the center of a relational hub, a system of relationships. Now, that doesn't mean that you're the center of the universe. That means that everybody that those folks touch, those are your opportunities to be a blessing. And there are all kinds of different people that touch you relationally. There's spouse, kids, extended family, friends, work, church family. All of these people are in your hub and surround you. Hopefully, these are the people you love. And hopefully, you are right now today in good relationship with everyone in your hub, with everyone that you love, that God has put in your life. But sometimes, and sometimes by no fault of your own, sometimes we do play a part, but sometimes, no fault of your own, you've got a problem. There's you and then there's your problem. Whoever that person is in your relational hub who refuses to be reconciled to you in relationship. And sometimes that situation becomes dangerous. There are situations where peacefully going your separate way is what reconciliation looks like. But here's the thing. Even if it comes to that, even if you've done nothing wrong, even if you're, you're without sin, and none of us are, right? Even if we can never be vindictive and cruel, even if we're the ones who were wrong. Romans 12 captures this. I think you'll understand when you hear what, what Paul wrote. Love must be sincere. Okay, so just stop right there for a second. You've got the relational hub. These are the people I love. When you say that phrase, love must be sincere, even your love towards the one that is your problem must be sincere. Let's keep going. Hate what is evil cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. What do you do about that relationship that is the problem? You remain joyful and hopeful. You remain patient in your affliction and you stay faithful in prayer, okay? So this is how you deal with it. Now let's go to verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Who is that person in your life who's been unfair to you? That's your persecutor. Do not run them down. Do not speak poorly of them. Do not make the case for how righteous you are 
and how evil they are. Well, how can we do that? All right, I'm about to tell you. Verse 17, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Now notice the word is anyone. It's not do not repay people you like. It's anyone. Evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you. Those are two very important phrases. Catch them both. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Your goal should always to be should always be to live at peace with everyone in your relational hub. And as far as it depends on you, make it happen. But the truth is it won't always depend on you. There are times when there will be someone who refuses to be reconciled. But what do you do? Here we go, verse 19. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. Okay, so here's the biggest challenge of this whole thing. Do you trust God enough to trust Him to bring justice to the situation where it's been unfair for you? Or is it your job to be the avenger? This comes up in the story of David. You heard it there. May God judge between you and me. This is the great challenge. When someone is unfair to me, do I trust God enough that he promises to avenge his own? Or do I have to take action myself against the one who does evil to me? Paul very clearly says, don't get into this game. Do not repay evil for evil because then everyone will lose. Trust God to avenge. Do not take revenge, verse 19, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. Now verse 20, on the contrary, now here is what you are to do. If your enemy is hungry, what? Feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Now verse 21, do not be overcome by evil. But overcome evil with what? Good. That's tough, isn't it? But this is the formula for how to deal with that person in your relational hub who refuses to be reconciled. It's going to take God's grace, isn't it? It's going to take a lot of faith to do this. But God has called us to be a blessing to the extent we can to everyone in our relational hub. Why? Because these are the people I love. 
Let's pray. Father in heaven, we're going to need your grace for this because we can probably think of the person right now who really deserves to get it from us. But Lord, by your grace, we're going to lay that right down at your feet. And we are, to the extent that is possible, going to be reconciled to every relationship, but that doesn't mean we're going to go back into dangerous places. Help us to discern. Help us to be wise. May we never run anyone else down, even if they run us off. But instead, may we always be gracious. Always speak well. Always overcome evil with good. In Jesus' name, amen. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make His face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up His countenance on you and give you peace. Amen.